A reading from the book of Exodus. In those days, God delivered all these commandments. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. You shall not have other gods besides me. You shall not carve idols for yourselves in the shape of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters beneath the earth. You shall not bow down before them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, inflicting punishment for their father's wickedness on the children of those who hate me, down to the third and fourth generation, but bestowing mercy down to the thousandth generation on the children of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave unpunished the one who takes his name in vain. Remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. Six days you may labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. No work may be done then, either by you or your son or daughter, or your male or female slave, or your beast, or by the alien who lives with you. In the six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that you may have a long life in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male or female slave, nor his ox or ass, nor anything else that belongs to him. The word of the Lord.
reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, Jews and Greeks alike, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than the human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The word of the Lord. Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Ioannem. Since the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple area those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves as well as the money changers seated there. He made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and oxen and spilled the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. 
And to those who sold doves, he said, take these out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples recalled the words of scripture, zeal for your house will consume me. At this, the Jews answered and said to him, what sign can you show, for doing, show us for doing this? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they came to believe the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. While he was in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, many began to believe in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus would not trust himself to them because he knew them all and did not need anyone to testify about human nature. He himself understood it well. Verbum Domini. Back in September of last year, Father Patrick, Brother John, and myself uh, made a pilgrimage to several sites in, in France. And we had the privilege of seeing several uh, sacred places, such as the Lord's Grotto, St. Bernadette's Resting Place in Nevers, Mount Saint-Michel, and various churches in Paris. And one of the largest and most beautiful churches we visited in Paris was the Basilica of the Sacred Heart which is located atop a very high hill. And to get to the basilica, we either had to go up staircases that never seemed to end, or to take the funicular, the cable railway service, to scale the hill. And once we reached the crest of the hill, we could see the basilica up close in all its architectural splendor. And as we approached the entrance of the church, we noticed that all around the front area, there were all sorts of street vendors and shops selling various paraphernalia, including many replicas of the basilica and other memorabilia. And seeing this reminded us of this episode from the Gospels of Jesus driving the, the sellers and the money changers out of the temple area. There was something about the sight of all this marketing activity just right outside a house that's dedicated to prayer and the worship of God that was somewhat unsettling. But thankfully, none of this business was taking place inside the basilica itself. Now, the real reason that the basilica is regarded by Catholics as a sacred place is not because of its magnificent beauty or its craftsmanship. There are many churches around the world that pale in comparison to the beauty of Sacred Heart, and yet we would also consider them to be sacred. A church building is sacred for one thing, because it has been consecrated, that is, set aside for sacred use. But more importantly, it is sacred because the presence of the Lord is found within. And in most Catholic churches, from the more sublime to the mundane, the Holy Eucharist, the real presence of Christ in sacramental form, is reserved within. 
When we go to visit and to pray at a church, we do not simply go to admire its magnificence. We go to be with the Lord in prayer. We participate in the liturgy and receive our Lord and Holy Communion. We go to be reconciled with the Lord in the Sacrament of Reconciliation. <clears throat> and these churches are consecrated and set apart for the sake of these sacred purposes. Now, we modern-day Catholics have the benefit of having so many sacred places around the world that we can go to visit, you know, that have the, the presence of God. However, at the time of Jesus, the only place where the Jews believed that God was present among them was at the temple in Jerusalem. Whereas most of us today have access to a church within 15 or 20 minutes away from our homes, many of our ancient Jewish ancestors had to travel for days on foot to get to the temple, the one area where they could offer due worship and sacrifice to the Lord. So obviously they could not go on a regular basis. Now imagine going to your local church one day and to your surprise seeing a shopping mall in the main gathering area of the church leading up to the place where mass is celebrated. And this would be rather shocking for us to see nowadays. And I think most of us would protest if we saw something like this. And yet the Jews had become accustomed to seeing, buying, and selling, and money changing in the temple area on a regular basis. And this is not to say that there is anything intrinsically wrong with marketing or with buying or selling. In fact, many of the pilgrims traveling to the temple needed to have access to some of the things necessary for offering sacrifice in the temple, such as the appropriate animals and the coins that did not have images engraved on them so that they could use them for the temple tax. You know, it's impossible for them to travel with everything that they need in, in order to offer what they need to offer in the temple. The problem is that these activities of buying and selling are considered profane. That is, they do not belong in a sacred place. I don't mean profane, or I mean profane in the sense that they, these are ordinary secular activities that should take place in secular areas and not in places that are consecrated for sacred use. And so Jesus, seeing this, makes a whip out of cords and drives the sellers and the money changers out of the temple area. As he says, take these out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace. And when some of the Jews question Jesus and ask him for a sign for doing this, he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What is especially interesting about Jesus's response is that he uses a different Greek word for temple in this instance than what is ordinarily used for the Jewish temple. And this seems to suggest that the temple to which Jesus is referring is distinct from the physical temple made of stones. And this distinction is clarified by the text itself when we are told that the disciples remembered after Jesus' resurrection that Jesus had said this and that he was really referring to his own body. In other words, Jesus is suggesting that the real living temple containing the real presence of the Lord is found in Jesus himself. He is the living temple of God. 
And when the physical temple in Jerusalem is eventually destroyed in the year 70 AD, we know that the real temple of God continues to endure in Jesus Christ. He is the real presence of God among us that can never be taken away from us. And this presence of Christ among us is not only found in sacred places containing the Holy Eucharist, but is also found in each one of us. Christ is the presence of God among us, and he has united to himself all those who have been baptized. We are all members of his mystical body, the church. And thus, by extension, each one of us individually and collectively constitute temples of the Lord. We all enjoy God's presence within us. We have all been consecrated to the Lord at baptism and are made sacred living spaces for the Lord to dwell in. Of course, as we know, the presence of Christ par excellence is found in none other than the Holy Eucharist, in which the Catechism teaches the body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore the whole Christ is truly, really, and substantially contained. And the Catechism then goes on to explain this presence is called real, by which is not, to, is not ex intended to exclude the other types of presence as if they could not be real too, but because it is the presence in the fullest sense. That is to say, it is a substantial presence by which Christ, God, and man makes himself holy and entirely present. So while we as Catholics do not substantially contain the presence of Christ, as in the Eucharist, we do in a sense become tabernacles of his presence, especially when we receive Holy Communion. Not only is Christ the living temple of God, but we who are members of his body also become temples of the living God by listening to his word and receiving his own body and blood sacramentally. And as we receive him in Holy Communion, we should allow him to conduct a thorough cleansing of our own souls. You know, all of us temples of the Lord <clears throat> have our own buyers, sellers, and money changers in the form of our own sins, our vices, and our inordinate attachments. We are reminded during the season of Lent of our ongoing need for repentance and conversion. Those of us who are baptized are called to accompany those who are preparing for baptism. We are reminded of the baptismal promises that we have made or our parents have made on our behalf. And we are called to prepare ourselves for the renewal of those promises at Easter. We have promised to renounce Satan and all his evil works, to renounce sin, to renounce the lore of evil, and to live in the, in the freedom of the children of God. And this penitential season is a great opportunity for us to recall our own consecration to God, to examine ourselves and to allow our Lord to drive out anything in our souls that is profane so that we might shine forth more brightly with God's presence, a presence that is most fully manifested through our works of mercy and charity, 
through the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And so as we look forward to the coming celebration of the Lord's resurrection at Easter, we recall the promise of the resurrection of the dead to everlasting life for those who love Christ and who keep his commandments.